Hey folks, if you've been listening to our show over the last several months, you've heard a lot about this Game Time app. Well, now's the moment to act. Get out there and get you that last-minute ticket for this Dolphins game. Dolphins-Patriots in Foxborough, a playoff game for a bye. Now, the Game Time, they've gone out there and they've tried to make this a little easier to prod you along here into using this great app. They're going to give you a $10 credit. Here's how it works. You download the Game Time app in the Google Player App Store. You click on the My Ticket section of the app. You create an account. And then under the billing section, you enter the code THEATHLETIC, all in caps. Once again, that's THEATHLETIC, all one word. And $10 is immediately going to come off that first purchase. Free money. Credit is only available, though, to the first thousand people who redeem this code, and it expires at the end of this year, which is coming up very quickly. That's December 31st for those of you who love to watch calendars. So make the move, get out there, and score yourself some last-minute tickets. Welcome to The Razor Show with the Athletics' Nick Underhill and Jeff Powell. Plus, three-time Super Bowl champion, Matt Chatham. Hello, hello, hello. Matt Chatham here. This is the Razor Show. Great to be back with you here. We've only got so many of these shows left. The season is winding down quickly. We're getting to the fun and exciting part when the tension gets a little high and there's a lot more riding on each each contest and uh, the other teams giving you their absolute best. And although in fairness, that's kind of what you get in New England every week anyway, even in September and October, but uh, the games are really starting to stick. I think the national perception of this team as irrelevant as that perception is, is starting to shift. And there's a little understanding that, uh Oh, uh Oh, they're maybe doing this again. And, uh, you know, as, as a new England observer and former player with that team, I like this process. This happens a lot. Uh, and honestly, there's that sort of panicky segment of the, of the Patriot fan base. That's, uh, the defeatist angry, always worried about something or other. Uh, those folks have to go under, undergo a transformation or just not pay to their attention to their team either because uh, all the takes of November and early December look kind of silly when you when you take this um, take this Patriots team against uh, the other top defense in the NFL and they do what they did. So uh, everything was aligned for Buffalo to finally climb that mountain to finally get to the other side. And it didn't happen. And in fairness, it could have easily been a much less close game. We're talking about basically two big broken plays, a bad two-minute drive before half that ends up being a score for the Bills and a really awesome throw by Josh Allen on a blitz that had actually hit perfectly against him. He bails off back foot, throws it over the top of the safety, and just a spectacular play. But I came out of this Bills game thinking, those teams still aren't that close. Um, good, tough performance by them to make it closer. Uh, but the fact that the, the Patriots, uh, you know, really, really dominated the ball as far as possession and dominated statistically and all those things in the first half, you come away thinking, okay, there's still a, a decided gap between these two teams. And the fact that it ends up with the score as close as it was is, is good fortune. But, you know, the Bills make that good fortune. But I don't think you come away from it saying, oh, near miss by the Bills. If they get a third chance, they're right there. I don't feel that about them at all. And, you know, that's just, again, trying to put on the, the wagerer hat. <laughs> if you were gambling on these two teams and not advocating for one side or the other, it still appears that the team with the flying Elvis on their helmets is 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 a notch above the one with the 
with a buffalo on their head. So I think that's where things sit. It doesn't matter uh, what I think, but I, I'm hoping to kind of bring along our listeners as we try to do each and every week to the sort of true state of things with the team. Uh, not that it's a finished product. There's still a lot to work on here in the coming weeks. I love that um, this was actually pointed out to me in a tweet by Doug Kide, uh, a reporter there with us at, at Nesson, does a great job. But um, he immediately uh, pulled back a quote from a year ago uh, that Bill had, uh, that Coach Belichick had had uh, used in reference to how they handle Week 17, especially when buys are on the line. And he talked about how, well, this is this is an early playoff game, essentially. Week 17, even if the opponent is doesn't have nearly the incentive as we do, uh, this is a playoff game for us. It's a playoff game that gets you, uh, you know, the week off. So this playoff game, what you win for winning this one is another week off. I just, it's just phraseology, but it's a way to frame it that I think uh, makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that Doug pulled that because, yeah, I think if you you look at where this team sits, uh, especially with a lot of their top guys, Julian Edel, Julian Edelman, it's early morning for me here on a Monday, uh, <laughs> Edelman uh, would be one of the premier cases where it's like, hey, man, that's a guy who could use some time uh, to get healthy. So they survive in advance here against Miami. And uh, guys like that, guys like Marcus Cannon, who's now got a little, sounds like a lingering ankle issue uh, that, you know, we know ankles can kind of, be there and stay there. I think Mohamed Sanu is a great example of that. Had it, you know, for several weeks on the field, didn't look like quite the same guy. Uh, so, you know, anything here that you can really sort of put it all out there against Miami to get an opportunity to get some more time to get righter, not get right. No one gets right at this this stage of the game. But, uh, you know, I think that's that's obviously hugely important. And it'll help keep, keep people focused. I think another element to that as you sort of look forward here is uh, that the, the Brian Flores is on the other side. And he's going to know the state of mind conversations. He's going to know the staff meeting talk about how they feel about 17, week 17, how they feel about uh, the approaching that opponent. I, I don't think... That, Brian in a million years is going to be able to sell to his guys, or, or maybe he won't. I don't think he would try to, but that that uh, that they would somehow be looking past them. It's the opposite, you know. And maybe that's annoying to a Patriots player, <laughs> uh, but uh, you're not going to be allowed to look past Miami. Miami is going to be built up as the old undefeated Miami team uh, of old. So uh, there, this is a serious opponent in front of you, in part because Miami has been an absolute adjutant to teams up and down their their schedule here in the second half of the season, and a huge tip of the cap to to, to Beef Loaf for do, making it that way. Stripped rock roster veteran quarterback that's been with like 20 teams I'm kidding but Fitzpatrick is uh he's been around the block and he's got a, a sort of recycled group of receivers uh, they get rid of Kenny Stills um, you know all those all and 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 Devontae Parker has this resurgent kind of a career finding sort of season and uh they're pain in people's ass uh so that's they're they're an easy team not to look past for those reasons Bill will have an easy time building that team up. But let's circle it back here, the Bills game. And uh, what I wanted to do in this is sort of after I'd rewatched it, uh, I wanted to kind of just sort of take my my big takeaways uh, rather than go on a play-by-play. I think the things, the elements that you would like the most, the ones that 
would still be uh, in the sort of uh, TBD uh, category, the things that need to get better, the things that I know they'll still be working on. We'll, we'll touch on a couple of those as well. But I think basically it's it's a better way to frame this particular game because you got a second at bat against them. The first one was scarily close, and then you get them around the next time where they're markedly improved, presumably. Uh, that was most of the talk around them, all the conversation about how much better Josh Allen was. And he's night and day, different guy, different player. The defense is, is you know is flying high for Buffalo and all those kinds of things. And, um, you know, this is the moment. The moment's now. You know, they were, uh, what was it, the team website or maybe it wasn't a team, maybe it was a, a Buffalo fan site of some sort. Um, Twitter account had linked the uh, the Miracle on Ice speech, <laughs> the three-game speech of the coach about why, you know, about passing them and, and the time being now for Buffalo and all those kinds of things. And I'm not I'm not trying to make fun of the market. I, I, I get that that sentiment would be, would make a lot of sense up there. Uh, and that there's probably extreme frustration, obviously, from from not being able to pass this organization, and that uh, that may be there for many many years because we're not looking at a situation where the impediment is simply the quarterback. It's not simply Tom Brady, as, as, as spectacular as he's been for the last 20 years. I think these kind of games remind you it's not just the quarterback. As long as this organization at the top is intact and they're building rosters the way they build rosters and putting together the pieces the way they tend to do it, especially as this sort of late-season maturation cycle continues year after year after year, they're in your way uh, until you're just simply better top to bottom than them. And that's not the case right now. So I think uh, I can understand the frustrations. I can understand the, the wanting of that to be the case, <laughs> the wanting of them to sort of you know, torch pass or whatever and move on and move past. But that's not the state of things right now in the AFC East. Um, so they, it ends up with a hat and t-shirt day. And I can tell you from past experiences, those are fucking awesome. You love them. I got to, you know, I don't have any of mine out. I kind of keep them as things not worn and they're all in a box and I've got all those boxes and t-shirts and man, those are, those are fun and those are treasured. They're not quite the Super Bowl stuff, but when you, you know, you kind of dominate your neighborhood, you own your block, that's that's a good feeling. That's something you kind of carry around with you the rest of your life. And uh, and one other thing to sort of, before we go game particular here, one one thing to always remember, I think, as a fan of this team, you know, knowing here on the Razor Show, you're, you're likely a, a Patriots fan. Uh, the, the, uh, it's important to understand that each new team is a new team. So although the fan base may feel, oh, this again, this again, and it's, you know, I could see how a competing fan base would look back at it and say, oh, you know, it's just you guys getting more pelts, you guys getting more success, more victories, more more fun and enjoyment for the base. Fuck you guys for that. I mean, I, I get that sentiment. Uh, but I also, much more than that, see it as the players see it. And uh, the reality of it is most of these guys haven't had a lot of those experiences. Most of these guys that are actually making up that team um, don't haven't, you know, don't have 10 pelts on their wall or 20 pelts on their wall. They, they just, they don't. So this is new to them in uh, half the team maybe. Let's, I don't want to run through the roster here and do it sort of guy by guy, but just understand that the NFL is a different animal than even like the NBA where it's, you know, there's a tiny little roster and it is probably the same starting five year after year after year. But this is different. This is different from Mohamed Sanu. He's never been on a team that's won in the, NS, uh, the AFC East. This is different from Marshall Newhouse. This is different for uh, Chase Winovich. He just got here. This is different for for a lot of these people. So they're, they're, these are who are on the, or are the guys that are on this team. This is different for Terrence Brooks. He's never experienced anything like this. You know, this is, this is cool and new for them. Nick Folk, you know, comes in midseason, hell of a savior. 
leader here as far as kicking as steadily as he has, uh, this is new for him. So it's easy to hate on the logo. It's easy to hate on a town. It's easy to hate on uh, figures you see on TV like Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and all that. But the reality of professional football is it's experienced on an individual level of those 53. And generally speaking, a giant chunk of those of those people are not the same ones that experienced it even just a year ago. Um, you know, even they, they got to go to the Super Bowl and all that. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe the number's half or, or two-thirds-ish or something like that. But I always try to think of the other people who this is new for. And I know I'm not, not going to sell here anything to make people feel sorry for them or happy for them, anything like that. But... I just think never, ever, ever let go of appreciating these things as a fan because although they may become mundane to you, and I know a lot of fans say, no, they never do. I just, I I enjoy each one. I know it can get a little, you know, not tiresome. You don't get tired of it, but, you know, you may not get quite the juice in your veins as you might have had the first time around in 01 or something when they were. When they, when they grabbed one of these things. But uh, to those players out there that have not experienced this, there's a ton of them on that roster. Uh, there's a ton of them that uh, are just getting to experience this for the first time or maybe the second. And if we start, you know, you expand the umbrella to the second, now we're talking about you're back to the, you know, the majority of the team. So uh, that's what the NFL is all about. And that's why this is so satisfying uh, for those guys. Uh, so Let's dive into sort of the things that I think are the, the, the huge, huge, huge game elements that are starting to become blaringly obvious, glaringly obvious uh, here with the Patriots and stuff you got to be thrilled about and why I think they're an extremely dangerous out in this tournament. We'll talk about just how dangerous it's it's trending in the way you got to like it. Uh, but first and foremost, we'll talk running game. So uh, the running game of the Patriots is, is far and away the most important one. I don't know if it's the one that gets people as excited, uh, but it's not just that they now have run productivity. It's that run productivity is one of the most important things in all of the NFL. Fuck all the analytics shit that says otherwise they don't get it. What happens here, and you can see it game in, game out, especially if you study this particular team, you study some of the more successful offenses out there, there is a marked difference between a team that gets a six-yard carry on a a loose front, uh, and then that contributes to a yards per carry the same way, you know, a four-yard carry on a packed box. I'm not even talking packed box. It doesn't have to be numbers. I said packed box. I don't mean packed box. On a down and distance tendency, on a game tendency that tells you that that is about to come and you're still able to get the four, that is, that is, uh, that's turning the tables. That's, that is monumental development. That is, that is, that is so markedly different than we saw at, at various times in September, October, and November. But that's where the Patriots are now. Hugely important. I mean, that you see that in the, in the Bengals game, which I know people, oh, it doesn't count because it was a Bengals. No, it counts when any team, any defensive lies aligns across from you that has that many good pros. Geno Atkins still over there, you know, Dunlop still over there. Um, when when you line up and the front is configured in such a manner that they kind of know where you're going and there's not a lot of pre-snap motion, there's not a misdirection element, and you're lined in eye-backs with now a Landon Roberts back there. We saw it again, like I said, in the Bengals game. You saw it in this Bills game, which is which is basically validating the idea that it, it is meaningful that it happened in the Bengals game as well. Because if you can do it against both these teams, then it it's sort of uh, a... It doesn't matter who's across from you, and that's kind of the big message here. And that's why the work in the against the bad teams counts as much as the ones against the good. So this this was is a huge, huge, uh, momentous change here for the Patriots' offense. The Bills were aligned 
and several instances in this game, both with leads and without leads. That's another sort of canard that's out there about from the sort of um, the spreadsheet coordinator community where they, they they talk about how well run production and getting to a certain number. A lot of that's just while you lead. That is not what happened in this football game. <laughs> that, has, that analysis is bogus bullshit. It has nothing to do with this game. This was tight throughout. They continue to re- turn to and rely upon this. There was far more efficiency uh, from the run game because of the risk element being off the table. Uh, you don't have the turnovers and you have things that open windows for other things, which is the play action element we'll get to here a little bit later. Uh, but the reality of the situation was there were a lot of runs in this game that were not sort of replacement level back is going to get the same yards. That's nonsense as well. This was really a, a running game performance that you can go play by play, play by play, and take a lot of these sort of sayings uh, that people people have liked to do in the last couple of years about how how important running the football game is. And they tried to they try to paint it as negligible. And it's not. And I think you can watch these. You watch some of Sony Michelle's runs and we're talking really sort of tight gaps where uh, the gap excuse me the gap filling is is full you know and what I mean by that is when you are ever in a box situation and you get the linebacker level step down into the box or excuse me step down into their gap not meet a gap at, at a yard and a half not meet a gap at two and a half not meet the gap on your side of the line of scrimmage but get down into it meet it there and still find four plus productivity still find broken tackles through filled gaps uh that is telling you oh that's that is an above and beyond it kind of performance and that's something that most backs don't get and that's why it was so uh so uh, I guess positive if you're if you're a Patriots observer of this running game. These were not just hey here's the blocking configuration. Hey any back would get that. Hey uh, it's no big deal. And hey this is a function of a lead or some other bullshit. No this is they were there. Uh, they're in a down and distance in a, in a front configuration and even a safety location and even a coverage uh, choice that tells you they have a concern about run first and foremost. They address it immediately post snap on the first sort of snap of the finger. In other words, you get a forward movement towards the line and then you still get the productivity. That's a big, big fucking deal. That's much, much different than, hey, getting someone to, 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 to anchor step uh, backwards uh, for, for a pass you know, presumption and then get four yards as well as people turn and rally to tackle. Uh, what goes into the cell in a spreadsheet when you're tracking all these plays, uh, four and four, just because the number is the same in two different plays, doesn't tell you that the same story happened, doesn't tell you that the same things are going on. So the, this is a monstrous, monstrous movement here for the Patriots to be able to get it when they know you're going to do it and they know you need it. And it's, you know, and it's still in an absolutely tight game. Uh, this is a team right now that can turn to that, and they've shown it against uh, a couple different kinds of defenses. That's important as well. Your front configurations for the Bengals and the and the Bills are not the same. I uh, even saw some of the just basic sort of sevens balanced, like a three four ish kind of look, uh, where you know you're you're off the ball linebackers down and quick into the holes. Uh, the safety locations right back off that heel, and and Sony's not only making the first guy miss or sidestepping or sort of making space, then he's turning, pulling out of, and then falling forward for another five, making these eight-yard gains as opposed to three or four. He did that time and time again in this game, and that's a big, 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 big deal. And it's not 
a presumption. It's not known. It's not a given. It's not something every back would get. It's not something even the same general configuration of offensive line could get a, a, a year ago. So, or a year ago, excuse months ago, right? Weeks ago. So that's good. That's why practice matters. That's not. That's why um, you know movement matters. I think that's the next element here to the running game. I wanted to touch on what we were seeing now is more movement, and you can see that in comparing the Bills against the, the Bills. I'm sorry, the Bills against the Bills, and that's what my what I mean by that is go back and watch some of the Ed Oliver plays. Go back and watch some of the Jordan Phillips plays. Go back and, and watch um, uh, Star Latulale. Uh, watch their three tackles and watch some of the, the Patriots run productivity and watch just the difference in uh, a movement that the Patriots offensive line got in several of the runs in week uh, in, in contest two versus contest one. That shows improvement. Same human both ways. Uh, and Generally, same calls. We're not talking about some magically new, magic new offensive call or magic new defensive call across from them. But the same humans are now getting better movement, getting better turn, getting better point of attack wins. That was a consistent theme in this game. And that's something that sort of points to coaching and getting scalded, <laughs> you know, scolded and scalded. <laughs> and that's kind of what happens in, in professional football. It is on a good team anyway. Uh, you can, you go and work on something. You lift more weights. You know, you work more on your technique. You get lower. You get scar, breathing fire on, on down the back of your neck to get your ass down and under it, have better hand placement and get better turn, th- show your ass to the hole for the back, uh, climb quicker, make better decisions on when and where to place and how to climb. That stuff is real. That's what the NFL is all about. It, and those things aren't found in spreadsheets. So when you say, oh, you know, against this such and such group, this O-line couldn't do that. And this running tr- attack couldn't do that. Because look, over these eight contests, this is what it averages out to or whatever. This is the aggregate. aggregate. Well, that, that's not how football works. And I think you're, you're, you're getting to watch when you cheer for this particular team, professionals. Professionals ex- at an ex- absolute expert level who can go back in, take those things, Understand that a failed run isn't uh, the alternative to a failed run isn't a pass. <laughs> it's another one of the sort of the canards out there in professional football internet talk. Uh, that hey, when you when you when you have a problem with a with a run, when a run doesn't do as you would want it to do, the alternative, the false choice that I think a lot of people have out there is that uh, oh, then it should have been a pass. No. Not necessarily. <laughs> That's not how it works. Sometimes a failed run is the fault, the, is the cor- incorrect choice of which run or where to factor the, the point of attack or how to build the play or what particular um, run scheme uh, works best against what particular run front or whether or not you went to the right part of the front. So sometimes a, a week of failure in the run game doesn't come back and say change a person or even change a play type uh, as far as run pass because that's the duality that's not real in real football. It's not, ooh, run fail, should have passed. No, it's maybe you should have ran a different kind of play. And and honestly, that goes the exact same way for passing. Uh, And and when you have a failure of a particular pass play, it wasn't, oh, should have run it. Not necessarily. That's not how it works. But I think there's a decent amount of misinformation out there because, you know, when all you're doing is throwing things into cells in Excel, you're going to get the wrong impression. And that's, that, I want to make sure that fans that watch this, that maybe consume a lot of other different kinds of, of Patriots media, understand that a failure in Iran isn't a choice to no longer run. And it's also because you, when you're looking at the same general configuration of five blocking people and the same backs behind them as were, as were there many months ago, uh, when it now starts to work, it wasn't because, hey, get away from that and go to something else. It's 
do that better, <laughs> you know, do that better, or uh, just sort of pick better, uh, pick better spots within what's across from you to target. And that's why football is so cool. It's the ultimate strategy game. It's only understood, I think, on that level from the real, real experts. And that's why you should be so thankful uh, as a Patriots fan that you cheer for the experts. That these are the guys that really know how to get it and break it down. There, obviously, there are, there are many other good offenses in the NFL. Andy Reid and his crew is really good at this as well. Uh, you know, again, a field run play for him isn't don't run. A field run play for him maybe build a better build a better scheme, build a better spot, pick a better entry point. You know, do it with a different guy, uh, and that's that's kind of the cool part of watching football happen. And I, I just I went into that little rant to kind of hope to sort of uh, cauterize a little the attention around uh, around what's cool about football and what can be learned in season and and just not to go brain dead with a lot of the the silly talk uh, that's that's out there this is how to appreciate the sports you're watching moving on here play action off of this uh, off of this uh, really good run productivity is so important it's something I understand at an absolute sort of base level you can sort of I can feel this under my toenails but when there is a mass there's a huge huge difference when you're standing at the the linebacker level and the play before you is a run play and it's stopped for two yards and it's stopped for two yards because the guys in front of you are, are, are banging it up and you know what that tells you a lot of times oh shoot we're, we're stuffing them in front of me uh or hey i'm an edge player and uh you know the the, the stretch plays uh the stretch running game is not quite getting out to me i'm holding up my tight end i'm holding up the edge block maybe on a, on a fanning tackle or whatever i'm holding that up and somebody else is filling in to make I, making this tackle i don't have to blow into my block. I don't have to blow across the line. I don't have to be, you know, almost like treat a like a, like a pass rush against the tight end to get extra movement. I can play it basic. Uh, and why that? Because the, the scheme around me is stopping things. So I don't have to be overly aggressive to get stops. Those are the things that register in the mind of players, of outside linebackers, of inside linebackers, of safeties. If they, if you don't feel an urgency to fly into the line or to fly into your potential block because you're hitting at ones and twos and threes without yourself doing that, it, it, it slows you down. It allows you to play it even. It's the greatest feeling in the world as a defender. What sucks is when on the previous play you give up six because when you give up six you give up even four you're like that's too much that that is the note that registers in your head that is the the sound that rings in your ears and that's you can hear the coaches saying it you can hear them saying in meetings and and it 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 basically guides your response so you line up that next play when they just got four five or six or eight or even more than that and you gotta lean forward you gotta take it you know you gotta take it a step further into the line and when the Patriots are starting to get those kinds of plays Sony getting contact at the line breaking it Sony get and then rolling out of it spinning dragging a guy making a guy miss getting to eight or twelve those plays affect the next play I know the next play may have play action in it, yes, but play action attached to success is a ma- is a massive difference uh, to a to a person uh, that has these jobs of deciding whether or not to go into it or to stay back, balanced or on your heels, and consider the pass element as much as the run element from the play action. But that's what the Patriots are getting, and you saw it all throughout that game tape uh, against the Bills. You see guys that are starting to have to take that early stride. You can see them leaning forward. You can see them, uh, you know, basically, get, you know, just showing more urgency into the line from the depth of the safeties, you know, a small step or two or three that wouldn't be taken if the last play had been a two-yard carry instead of an eight. That is just how it works. And what the Patriots have done, is really uh, start to hit on these run productivity plays where the front would 
not necessarily a not necessarily tell you pre-snap that that was going to be the case. It guides behavior. It absolutely guides behavior. This is how it works. I can tell you a billion times. We see four stretched, you know, four yard gain stretched to my way, five yard gain. You're thinking, man, fuck, I got to get across on this one, you know. And all it takes is that that lean. All it takes is a one of one step that should have been a basic step, or two steps that should have been one, and then they're sneaking behind you. This is why play action is so important. This is why establishing the run is a really big deal. It's why it's a very real thing because you need to pull people into the line. And just simply showing a run fake, showing a play concept type doesn't always do it if there isn't success attached to it. And the Patriots are in a position right now where that is absolutely what's happening. I'll give you the best example is the Lacoste touchdown. Matt Lacoste's touchdown was on the backside of, I believe, Pro. I don't recall the formation in my head, but I don't think there was a hangover. I don't think there was an extended receiver to his side. And he's block, 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 and release. He's block, 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 and release. And I believe it was Lorendo Alexander that was to his side. And I'm telling you, he, he did not do a bad job. Uh, so Alexander, you know, is getting the block, 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 you know, like a two count, you know, you're, you're blocking for just a second. It has to look like he's pass protecting or either run blocking me. Um, and he, he plays it. Okay. It's not like it was played terribly. The guy that's affected is the safety to that side. I believe it was number 21. I, I shouldn't have said safety defensive back, whoever it was. Um, takes like four or five strides into the line. There would be absolutely no reason to take the third and fourth stride into the line. You play it more basic if you haven't been having problems on that drive with with the uh, with the run game. And they were. So A begats B. And that's how this stuff works. And, you know, what sucks, and we've seen this throughout the year, unfortunately, is when the Patriots weren't getting that kind of run productivity, they weren't honoring the fakes. So you were showing a lot of the same play-action elements. You'd show the same play-action look, and people don't react to it the same way. And when teams don't react to play-action, when they stay basic, when they stay in their stance, they don't take the stride forward, they shuffle step, they read step without moving into the line, and that can come from the safety level or from the linebacker level, you don't get the productivity. You don't get the pull. You don't get the grab. You don't get the guys overreacting to create the holes in the secondary for play action. And on this particular one, Lacoste does not actually get separation from the play action or from all the other things I'm talking about. What happened, uh, Lorenzo is pretty much in the hip. He he doesn't lose him for that. Who you lose is the help player who would have been on top of it. And that's the, the defensive back that was to that side. He flies in the line. There's no reason to do it either. There's no reason unless he's really, really concerned about a cutback run there from the lessons learned earlier in the drive. This is the psychology of players. This is how this stuff happens in real time on the field. And it was just wild to see him fly into the line like that for no real reason based upon the play concept. Uh, and then watch Lacoste get an ISO situation where although Alexander's in the hip, he can't react and turn, and he can't raise. And, you know, Lacoste is a 6'6 guy, so he's not really needing a ton of separation there. Brady just floats a really nice ball up to him. So that was a big, long uh, explanation to simply say, if you're a Patriots fan, love you some development here in the run game and play action that comes off it. It's huge. It's creating windows in the second level with the linebackers. You saw many plays here where Milano and uh, Edmund ended up into the line, into the line, aggressively, aggressively. And it was because of success on previous plays. And you can see that, you can find it. And uh, I think uh, part of this also is to understand that they really want to pressure Brady. You really want to advance into the line. Uh, and even hug rushing, you know, or hug, I'm sorry, 
com- coming to your coverage, basically, where the back is your coverage anyway. It's you're going to say, screw it, I'm getting into that line. I'm getting into that line because I don't want to be on my heels at four yards catching a back who's, who's you know, building on me. So, and, you know, there's plenty of those clips <laughs> where Sony built on guys, broke tackles, and got through the next level. So, by and by, all in all there, uh, you know, you really have to love sort of the running efficiency of, uh, of both Michelle and Burkhead on this particular day. A little less of it from James White. That's just kind of how the cookie crumbles here. This week to week, we don't know which maybe two of the three it's going to be. It was more of, of Michelle and Burkhead this week, but that's, that's uh, more than enough, and it's really good. You know, Burkhead breaking tackles, making plays, sometimes on, on throws, but uh, just the work there was, was incredibly encouraging if you're a Patriots fan. Uh, and the things that come from it, the fruit from that kind of approach uh, was was blindingly obvious in this game, and it's it's something they work on. It's something that broke through at the moment you needed it to late in the year. We'll see what it looks like also against Miami, but trust me, if you're one of these teams, Bills, Chiefs, or Texans, that are most likely going to see them in the divisional, provided the Patriots take, a, take, a, take care of their business this weekend, um, you're looking at a different team than you would have studied earlier in the year. So that's uh, that's awesome stuff, again, from a Patriots perspective. Now, the next thing I think is incredibly important to, to touch on here is the catch-and-run plays. If you're, you're looking for an element that, that is elevating itself to something it wasn't in previous weeks that I've kind of been harping here on the show of things that they're really built to do but have not yet hit on, uh, it would be the catch-and-run plays. And a catch-and-run just obviously can be slants, can be quick passes, can be you know some sort of pick element at the – you know, at the line can be coming out of bunches and just hitting them quickly and then having the people in the bunches do some blocking uh, at the second and even third level uh, to make these plays break. Or it can be screen plays. Or, you know, it can be screens to backs. It can be tear screens to um, tear or bubble screens to receivers uh, who are extended from the formation. Uh, it can be, I don't even know if catch and run. It's more just the run portion where you're doing the jet sweep stuff or you're doing the flare passes off jet sweeps. But this Patriots offense is spreading its wings now in the last couple weeks. It's not done. It's not finished. It's not a championship team today. But those are the things that I've been harping on throughout the year to say, hey, no, no, no. These They have that personnel. They have the people to do that. We just need to see them do it more and execute the plays and when they call them. And then they're now executing those plays better. So plays that could be stopped at four or five yards because they block it just a little better out in space, because they make just a little better cut decision based upon those blocks, because they, you know, the quarterback is just a little sharper in how he gets the ball out of his hands, how he sells it, all those things. Be 5% better and watch, you watch yourself have a 40% better result. That's professional football. And that's fun for me to watch, you know, because I've been kind of I've been writing about this, I've been talking about this on the show throughout the year saying if they just do this a little bit better, all of a sudden all this talk about they don't have weapons or they don't have this or they don't have this and they can't do this or that or whatever, all that stuff goes away. And it's it's not magic. It's not some major upset. It's just a little bit better execution and all those all of a sudden the things they've put together on this roster that fit so well start to shine. Uh, Rex Burkhead's a great catch and run player. He's a really good screen player because he explodes really quickly once he turns and he reads blocks really well. He needs to secure the football a little better than on that one play. But he got his extra opportunities later. And man, he is really good uh, once you get him out and uh, you know sort of being quiet in, in the start of the play and then sliding out into open space, just kind of knowing where to slide and be and, and make a play. Sony, a uh, little less of the catch-and-run stuff with him, occasional catch-pass catch, catch pass in the 
catch a pass. They, they're kind of at the rate of one or two times a, a game with him, maybe just to keep people honest. But the other thing to, to, you know, getting away from the backs, we saw less of it with James White this week, but you kind of all know that he's a huge part of that and would presumably have a much greater role in it going forward. But think about this when we talk about catch and run. Think about this, these two body types uh, that are different and unique to all the other stuff on the roster. And in, in, in fairness, different and unique to what's typically on a Patriots roster. Um, Nikhil Harry and Mohamed Sanu are both tall, long, physical, punt return type body types. That is not, you know, your short and fast guys. You know, you're quick and fast. These are long-legged, long-legged guys. These are guys who have really big, strong, stiff arms. They both are pretty dynamic in their hips. They can turn quickly. They just have sort of that tall returner kind of feel to them. And we saw it in this game. Uh, the, the reverse adjustment that Harry made early in the game was pretty cool because the, the end had actually gotten a little too far up the field. You know, the, the tackle hadn't quite hooked him. You know, you're trying to run this little jet sweep or reverse kind of deal with, with Nikhil Harry, and you're trying to sort of, you know, seal the end and get him around out into space and have the first block he has to sort of make a decision on be the one to the defensive back or an extended back or whatever it may be. But on that particular play, Harry had to make the adjustment initially. So what he did is he cut back inside with the end up the field a little too much and then got so back inside and then once through the line to the outside again. That is a very heads up uh, kind of a, a running thing by, by, the, by the ball carrier and it shows running instincts. So it's not just, hey, heady in the moment. It's also like that's an innate thing. That, that is a natural runner who was able to feel, almost stretch it up the field, get underneath one, and then back out. It's just it, you can see Nikhil Harry's natural running ability once you get the ball in his hands. He's really strong with the ball. He's also just got a knack. That's why you get drafted at the spot he got drafted. He is something special. And uh, he himself and also Muhammad Sanu in the catch and run have been a big, big, big addition to this offense. And now both of them. Now, again, if it was if this is all they had, if it was just, hey, all catch and run plays and running game, that can be a problem because, yeah, there are going to be moments where you need to loosen them with either down the field balls or just traditional stuff just to keep them honest in that as well. But what is, I think, a very nice development, if you're looking at it again from the Patriots' offense perspective, is they're jet motioning with three different humans. So sometimes it's Julian who's, who's coming in motion and is potentially about to get either a little the tap forward thing or jet. Uh, motion with a, with a handoff or potentially catch the ball off a flare off the fake of the jet sweep stuff. Um, they can, you can do that with Jules, you can do that with Harry, and you can do that with Sanu, and they frequently do, which all of a sudden as a defense, you're looking back at the other side. They no longer have an air quote gadget guy. You've got three different returner types, and uh, all three of them are used in that manner. So as a defense, you can't key on it. We used to have this all the time in our scouting reports for the opposite team. Who's the gadget guy? We would all have to, you know, they would Bill would quiz us. Who's their gadget guy? And typically, a team is going to have one, the you know one that you know ninety percent or eighty nine percent or whatever their gadget plays are going to go through this guy. This other guy occasionally will do it. Maybe they'll show it to keep you honest. But that's not who the Patriots are right now. They're a team that has three guys who could potentially be the gadget guy as much as the other, and that keeps you honest as a defense. And that wasn't going on three weeks ago, right? So when they were having those offensive struggles uh, against, you know, uh, we don't have to go name spe- game specific here, but we know it was sort of a stretch of a month. When you add in that element with an effective running game, 
all, the misdirection stuff becomes more meaningful. The play action stuff becomes more meaningful. Meaningful. The 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 screens where there's a, a a pump screen in one direction and turn back to the other side, that becomes more meaningful because the initial movement um, is real to the defense. Because hey, I've actually seen that guy get a carry in that direction before, and so it moves people. It moves people on the back end. It moves people at the linebacker level so that they flow with the damn thing, and then you're able to throw back to a, a back in, in a screen on the backside. Because what you did initially was believable because you built it and succeeded on it first. That stuff matters. We've seen a lot of these play concepts earlier in the season not work. It's because the stuff that preceded it wasn't working. That's that's kind of why all this stuff fits together. And it's kind of why you can hear it in my voice. I get a little excited about football because that's the real stuff. So another final idea here, though, on the catch and run stuff that I think makes this a much more playoff dangerous offense, a team that can hit in the mid-20s each and every week regardless of the opponent, maybe 30 on a team that's not as good. And we saw that last week. We saw 24. Uh, this is 24 that could easily easily been another score. Uh, you know, they had an unseated uh, offensive series there with, with a couple penalties. So if you clean up the penalties and that happened twice, you end up with a three-on-one that could have easily finished the way they were driving the ball down the field with more, or you had seven that was just out and out taken away. So when you start talking about cleaning up penalties that extend these things, we start talking about an offense that's a high 20s, a 30, and that's against the best possible defense you'll see going forward. There's not a better defense out there than what the Patriots just faced. So if you can get a comfortable 24 at home against that, uh, you no longer have to have, there's no more reasonable concerns or worries about anything that's out there. That's an offense that should be able to get to the mid-20s level each and every week, regardless of the opponent. And that should be enough against anyone, right? That's the kind of thing to keep in mind here. It's a different prism to which, through which to look at all this stuff, but it's 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 an incredibly encouraging development. If you know, obviously you're cheering for that team. So the other thing in the catch and run I wanted to touch on was the tight ends, and I think that's very important to at least mention uh, because Ben Watson's play, uh, where it was sort of the slant flat, uh, basically uh, it got called back, but. Because your tight end uh, can still fucking run, Ben is still fast, dude. And Ben is still, we've, we've seen a handful of screens over the last month or so, or quick check downs or catch and run plays with Ben. It's usually just one a game, maybe two a game. But it, again, it's the part that keeps you honest. If you throw in the tight end as a possibility in the catch and run, if you throw in, oh my God, they run screens to tight ends or they run sort of little rub plays to get tight ends open uh, and he can go for 40. All of a sudden, again, it changes the calculus of the defense. It changes how you have to account for them. It changes who you might be willing to put on one guy or the other because all these guys are catch and run guys, and I can't sort of hone in on which which and where to focus. So you have to play them basic. You have to play them even, and that changes stuff, especially if you're like, oh, we got to get after Tom Brady. We have to get him off the spot. We have to pressure, 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 pressure. Well, if you're going to blow pressure into the line against Tom and you have all these different people who can quickly bank out from the formation and be a catch and run guy, and it you know, might be two to your left and two to your right because it might be the tight end and it might be Sanu over here and it might be Harry and it might be Jules over there. Or it might be um, Burkhead who pops from the formation or it might be James. And both of them are in the backfield together. You just don't know which of these five humans might pop out of it. 
it really sort of slows your role as a defense. You can't just come charging across the line. They could come charging across the line for many of these previous weeks. But when that part changes, this, the whole scene here changes. So I want Patriots fans that are watching this to kind of understand that. Uh, and, you know, I should touch on this before I exit out of the catch-and-run point. Um, what Julian Edelman did when he got sort of knocked down on that play uh, was not an intentional pick. Uh, and the reason I know that, and I kind of waffled a little bit on the on on that when I watched it live time from up in the stands there, and then watched the Bron- I'm sorry, from up in the media area, and then we'll turn and watch the monitors that we have in the media area to see the replay. And I was like, ah, okay, I get it. You know, I just think it came on, it got on him too quick, and he collisioned it. The reason you know it's not one of these traditional, and we see these every week. Every team does this, and it's it's not illegal. You just you have to sell it. Uh, when Julian was actually did a hop step outside the defensive back, he was trying to set him up. So when you see that jump and a skip and his eyes are down, he's actually looking to the other side of the defensive back, he was setting him up to run that route to get open himself. This wasn't just to advance into the route, find the guy, look back and rub him because you're really the rub guy. That was a live route. That was Julian and uh, and uh, Watson both running live routes. We'll see which one pops out of this first. There's, It's just something that's a difference. You can see defensive ba- or receivers who are the, hey, you're the rub element, you're not catching the ball kind of thing. Uh, they, don't, they don't sell it the way he sold it initially. They don't try to set up the defensive back that way, pop out of it. What happened was it was a really nice sell and Julian's eyes are just raising, and as they raise, uh, just rising, but as they raise, he turns, or he doesn't get turned. So you hear, see him pop out of it, and it's the head coming up at a moment where he would probably be looking back, but at that moment, he's just defending himself, and he takes the brunt of the collision. But that part sucks, but it's not, you know, not that they didn't execute that well. If Jules could somehow, some way, got a fraction of a second, got his hands up to flash him, but as I'm saying here, he wasn't trying to sell a rub because he actually was trying to get himself open, and um, the, the hit just came down upon him too quickly. But the greater point here is, Wow, how open was that play? And wow, how nice did it look to have uh, Ben out in the flat? And then once that guy starts building, you have a fast-ass tight end. He's a faster tight end than they have anywhere in Baltimore. But we've seen Baltimore use the hell out of out of Andrews and Hurst and Boyle and that guy. How big of a, a part of that offense have those tight ends been? We know how important Kelsey is to his particular offense, and and uh, you know less so with the Texans. I don't think that's necessarily their thing. And uh, Knox and now uh, you know Croft have have a, have a role here in Buffalo. But I think that's a huge thing that once you have that also with your offense, it 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 bumps it up a notch. It bumps it up several notches. And Lacoste getting his touchdown, and then uh, Watson be showing a couple of those plays uh, where it's like, uh oh. That's still there. You have to honor that. You have to, uh, you know, consider that. Uh, it, it just it expands an offense. I think that's just a very important part. So um, I'll bounce off this point quickly because kicker talk is boring. Uh, but Nick Folk's doing a great job. End of story. He looks steady. Balls up. Uh, not wavering. We're not talking about a big right-to-left movement. You know, in hooking a ball is normal, but you know, hooking to make him. We're not talking about a guy who needs to fade him to make him. In other words, he's he's got to start it left because he knows he'll have it fade right to get it back over the center post. We're just talking about a guy who's stroking it. Uh, he's not kicking at 55 yards. He made a 51, and it looked like only had a yard or two more on it, a few yards on it anyway. So we're not talking about a guy that's got the the, the biggest leg on the uh, you know in the NFL or anything like that. He's not going to go. They're not going to line up from 55 with him. They're not going to 
attempt a 58 yard or anything like that. But it looks like they knew what his range was. He was at the tail end of it. And it wasn't the kind of stroke that's like, oh, it's got to have a quick hook to it because he's got to rush because he's really grunting to get that thing up there. He just looks steady right now, you know. And and I'm not trying to jinx him. I'll actually knock on a little wood here to say, hey, we're not trying to sort of blow up how amazing he's done to now watch him fall. I, I hate that shit. Uh, I just am doing this more of a tip of the cap thing. He looks extremely steady. They, do, you know, they seem to have made a really nice decision on which kicker to go with. There's just not as much movement on his ball. On a strike, it's a relative straight thing. So, uh, you know, that's it's a positive development to now. And considering the fact that you lose a stud in Guskowski for the year, um, and you had to, you know, go around the dial here a little bit and try a couple different things and other guys got hurt, um, you are in a really, really good place to have Nick kicking the way he's kicking. And uh, to have a vet like that that's not going to be, I think, uh, negatively affected by the heightened moment. Uh, that was a heightened moment when he kicked the 51, and obviously you can see by the final score they needed it. So uh, moving on here, four-man rush. Uh, this is kind of my final thought here because I wanted to at least hit on something on the other side of the ball. Defensively, you know, the, the disruptive plays and players are, are all over the place. Uh, we could spend all day on that, but we talk about that in a, in a, in a normal week a lot anyhow. You know, the, the plays that uh, Gilmore's making and J.C. Jackson and, and the pass rushers and all that kind of stuff and the way, to, you know, the way Jamie Collins sort of just hawks down plays and Hightower blowing shit up and, you know, Van Noy, just his incredible nose for the ball and just instincts and, you know, the playmaking ability. It's just, it's just all over that defense. But I wanted to spend some time here just briefly uh, and really shine some light on two guys, uh, really three. I should throw Adam Butler in here as well, but it just kind of depends on the configuration they roll with. But fine, we'll go with these three. We'll go. But I wanted to talk about Danny Shelton and I wanted to talk about Lawrence Guy and then Adam Butler as the third because usually two of those guys are on the field together in the third down situations. Not, yeah, I guess it kind of depends on down and distance. If it's a more medium depth, uh, you know, third and four, third and six, you're talking these guys. You get to third, 10, 12, and sometimes they put just one bigger human out there and just put the, you know, whatever whatever name you want to put it behind put behind it but they're they're smaller rush group when the bigger rush groups out there they had a very very effective four man rush against Josh Allen i think it's four sacks in the game but the pressures were high uh, you made him throw a lot of off balance balls and that's so important uh that that Okay, well, I didn't actually make the point. Here's the important part of all that. Uh, it's push from the inside. Push from the inside is so important. And we're not just talking, you know, gets to the edge of a guard and shoots the gap and then someone steps up right past it. In other words, like the quarterback feels this up, you know, upfield sort of penetrating kind of guy. Guy and Shelton are not like that. They're not hit the gap and just penetrate past someone with quickness. They're on the edges, but on the edges with power. Or in the moments where they're getting double and they need to split a gap, still getting push. The front porch of New England's rush with their big rush group is really, really good now. And I, I can't imagine another coordinator or offense having that kind of uh, tape before them, reviewing this team, talking about what they really need to get done to help their own offense be more effective against New England's defense. I think they would have to be, have to be hyper-focusing on, damn it, we got to get firmer guard to guard, guard center guard. We got to get firmer. Lawrence Guy, even when he's not making the tackle, tends to put someone near or at the quarterback's feet. Danny Shelton, the exact 
exact same way. These two guys, and Adam Butler as well. Adam does it often more by by penetration though than than straight strength. Uh, but he's pretty he's pretty nifty too. He's a fun player to watch. But the the power rushing and the sort of just pocket push that you're getting from those two, sometimes the third. Uh, guys are, are so, so important to what you're seeing with this defense. And they need to do it down the stretch, quite frankly, because it's such a big difference for the way a pocket sort of works if you're, those two interior rushers are fighting at the line of scrimmage and not get, getting into the backfield. Uh, we're seeing those guys jump on as the second person in the sacks or you know push, push, push to, to the point where the quarterback has seen that go on more. Then they escape, and they escape into the arms of one of the edge rushers. That's happening a lot. That's a huge, huge, huge factor in why this defense is so effective, uh, especially on these, the, the third down percentage has, has been really good throughout the year. I uh, just wanted to give a nice, big, deep bow if – if not for anything to um, stretch my hamstrings out because I'm getting tight, but <laughs> not my own bow, but to, uh, to 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 offer a bow to those guys. Those guys those guys deserve a giant tip of the cap. They don't get a lot of shine, uh, but they're doing a, a really tremendous job. And that's the the kind of development in the in the four man rush in the pass rush as a whole that you really want to see late in the year. They're going to come up against some big time teams here late, and you need that little element going to continue to be the, the great defense that they have been. One last sort of exit and out of this point uh, with the defense. I believe going into last week's game, uh, the points per game was at something like 12.9, I think it was. Uh, and I think the lowest uh, for the Patriots defense, I think the lowest, if I recall, was a 12.4. I think there was a 12.4 out there. Uh, might have even been an earlier Baltimore defense. So I'll have to look into that a little bit. But the reason I bring that up is they were at the 12-ish number, and they had an opportunity here facing both Buffalo and Miami to come away with the lowest you know, points per game uh, uh, allowed uh, in in the history, really the last sort of modern I call modern NFL twenty two thousand on the last twenty years, right? So because Buffalo sneaks in there with a fourteen, that twelve nine I'm assuming may have edged up a point one or point two or whatever. I'm not doing the arithmetic here, but it may have edged up just slightly. So you go into this game, you know, three quarters of a point is my guess off of the 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 history setting sort of level. Uh, so. You know, it'll be a fun little game within the game if you care about those stuff and you know that stuff and records. I mean, I know everyone always is aware of how many touchdowns of the quarterback has or how many receptions such and such has. This opportunity here to get the lowest regular season points per game uh, allowed number in 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 recent NFL history, uh, in really modern NFL as I call it. Uh, is is right there uh, for the taking, and but what the Patriots are going to have to do is not give up ten. You know, you, if you want to move back three quarters of a point, you're going to need to make this a you know only allow six points, only allow maybe seven, maybe even have a really nice day and only allow three. Um, without running the numbers, which I probably should have before I started this topic, I, I believe it's going to take about about that kind of. Uh, uh, performance below the average now that's sitting probably right around 13 to move it down uh, 0.6-ish. So it's something to keep an eye on because this group has really, really achieved all year long. They deserve the recognition for what they've been doing. And uh, I'd like to help push that story forward, push that narrative forward that if they, they come up with an accomplishment like that, especially a year after uh, the most dominating defensive performance in Super Bowl history. And by that, it's not subjective. It's just, it's not flag waving for any particular team, pom-poming or any of that. It's the Patriots and the Super Bowl a year ago against the Rams 
uh, held one held an offense to the most points below their average in a Super Bowl performance in history. It was the biggest. Here's what they normally do. To here's how far we drew them down. Uh, that was tremendous. And they came off that to show that hey, that wasn't a fluke. This is who this team is sort of built to be. They they buffered themselves a little bit with Chase Winovich in the draft, Juwan Williams, who was making some nice plays down the field as far as covering up verticals that the Bills tried late in the game. Good week of work from him. Um, and basically they bring in Michael Bennett. He doesn't stick that, that whole situation changes itself. But other than that, it's kind of the same group plus Terrence Brooks who comes in and has a role. Uh, but then you add in those other two nice pieces and, uh, all of a sudden this thing moves into historic sort of neighborhood. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I like to see guys get recognition for what they're doing. Uh, they didn't get correct recognition through the Pro Bowls. I, I put a little tweet out there, or maybe it was in my athletic column about the idea that, um, you know, no one has achieved as much and has been, uh, has been, uh, honored with as little as this Patriots defense this year. Two fucking uh, Pro Bowl nods. And it's not about playing the game. That's not the point. It's not a, Nobody cares about playing the game. It's just getting the nod, getting the recognition. Uh, they did not get it individually as they should have. They get two. And the two lowest in the last several years, it's been both Patriots teams. Both times Patriots lead in points per game, they were the low bar at two. Uh, all the other ones are getting four and five. That's just what's normal. The norm is four and five. When the Patriots do it, it somehow means less for what the individuals have accomplished. So if the individuals aren't going to get the recognition, I want the group to get it because, you know, great work deserves great recognition. So let's hope they push this across the line with a low number. Give up three, give up six, maybe give up seven. I'd have to do the math to know that just giving up nine would, would pull it down enough. I'm not sure if it would, but that's on the on the table and available, so we'll see where that goes. That is all I've got for this week's show. Uh, we're going to hit you up with a crossover show later in the week uh, with uh, a Dolphins person. I'm not sure as I sit here now who that's going to be, but we're going to do a little crossover talk deep about the Dolphins because, man, I'm actually pretty impressed with them. Uh, I, you know, Obviously, there's a sentimental angle here from a Patriots perspective because you're seeing Brian with his roster stripped around him you know, in season, making trades, getting rid of his left tackle and one of his better receivers and, and his best back and Kenyon Drake who's out there killing it in Arizona, just taking people away from him and saying, fuck it. I'm still going to go win. I'm still going to build something here. So we'll do the crossover. We'll talk a little bit more about that team because it's a real challenge. It's the it's a week 17 playoff game, as, as Bill has put it. So we'll check that out. But first and foremost, thank you for checking out this Razor show throughout this year. I'm Matt Chatham. Thank you, as always, for checking in with us. Go out there. Look into the stuff that Jeff Howe and Nick Underhill and myself are putting out. We're, we're, we're churning this stuff out for you guys. And you keep tu- tuning into our shows each and every week, and we appreciate that very much. Spread the good word. Happy holidays. And to those of you who are celebrating Christmas like myself, Merry Christmas. Happy birthday, Jesus. Take care, y'all. Talk to you again on the other side. Bye now.